Welcome to another episode of the Chill by Net podcast. This podcast is created for those who are passionate about their personal development, health, and well-being. This is a platform for you to come chill by my personal stories and weekly tips in becoming a better version of ourselves and to live a better present. But first, let's chill. My name is Jeanette. Welcome back. So as I released my episode last month, it was also the same month which I've reached a personal milestone on my podcasting journey. And I'm just really thankful for 2,000 downloads and I would like to especially thank you who have been tuning in. You know, your support really, really means a lot to me and I think it really motivates me. I really, really appreciate the time taken out to tune into all these episodes of mine. And I do hope that if you found this podcast useful, you can also help to leave a rating on Spotify platform. And also feel free to leave a review as to which is the episode that really speaks to you, which is your favourite episode of Chill by Net, and why. Alright, so anyway, today's topic is one of super importance. And I would say that, you know, knowing this particular concept that I will be introducing in the later part of this episode had really changed the way I approach my life. And I just really can't wait to share it with you guys. So in my initial episodes, I've shared that mindfulness is used as a way to help us reduce our stresses in our day-to-day. And honestly, this knowledge isn't that uncommon to most. But what exactly is behind this whole thing about mindfulness and stress reduction, right? Why is it that practicing mindfulness can help us reduce our stress? And, you know, why do some people feel more stressed out than the others? People like me literally can't get through a day without feeling anxious, right? So some of these questions will be answered and touched upon in today's episode. So first of all, you know, what do you think of when you hear the word stress? I think for me, you know, at least in the past, I used to think of it as something to get rid of. You know, I used to think that stress is something for us to get rid of, right? I just didn't want any stress in my life. I didn't want to have stress and I think that is the kind of ideal life to have for me. And I think perhaps we all think about how, you know, the way to achieve happiness and well-being is just to eradicate all stresses and not wanting stress, especially during our very, very stressful periods. I do at some point think that, you know, a happy life is a stress-free life, right? I used to think that way when I was a little younger. But that couldn't be further away from the truth, right? And if now, if you were to ask me how I would rephrase it, I think in my opinion, a happy life is living a life, acknowledging stress and knowing how to deal with our stresses effectively. And the thing is, unless we plan to lock ourselves up in a room for the rest of our lives, I think it is just impossible to exist without at least some level of stress in our everyday life. Actually, even locking ourselves up in a room can sometimes be really stressful, right? Where we deprive ourselves of social interaction and all of that can be, you know, pretty stressful in some ways, right? If you think about it. As humans, we do have a tendency to kind of approach what feels pleasant, like joy, pleasure, and we just want to avoid unpleasant feelings such as fear and stress. And sometimes... I find that we can all have this expectation of not wanting any unpleasantness in our lives, right? Which may cause more unpleasantness because, you know, when the unpleasantness comes, we kind of want to just push it away because we just do not want to have it there, right? But when we acknowledge it, when we acknowledge this unpleasantness, right? The unpleasantness just doesn't feel that unpleasant, right? So it's the same thing with stress because 
the idea of stress, the whole notion of stress is something that's very unpleasant, difficult to feel, doesn't make us feel good, right? So the expectation of not wanting any stresses in our lives may cause more stress when the stress comes, right? Yeah, so it's along the same lines of thinking. And even coming to realize this is something that is rather recent for me and stressful triggers will always be there, but it is really about humans' ability to deal with stress, you know, what are the things that we can look at to deal with our stresses to achieve a better well-being. And hence, I think this makes the topic relevant for basically anyone, right? Because as long as we are humans, we deal with stress and it is something that we have to deal with. So why am I even looking into this topic of stress in the first place, right? I was curious to seek out you know, explanations for why do I feel more overwhelmed than other people? Why do I feel more easily stressed out, right? What is it that is actually causing um, someone to feel stressed, you know, apart from things that we can't control? So when we talk about stress, even though most of us are stressed out by different things, but if you look at it from a bigger picture, as humans, we experience stress triggers which are universal. If we saw like someone engaging in a fight, we might feel really stressed, right? We can be stressed about things like financial instability, you know, being in a relationship conflict and all of that. But I think the extent to which we deal with it and the way we experience it is different, right? And that also accounts for how much stress we face in our day-to-day. And this is something that I want to actually look into in this episode. And I believe that it is all these factors that I'm about to explain that determines why some people are able to thrive more than another person. Why is it that some people may have a better quality of life, higher well-being as compared to another person? And I think understanding this is actually the foundation for us to actually effectively thrive in life because ultimately knowing this will generate awareness. And like what I always like to say, awareness is the first step to change, right? Only through awareness we are able to then you know, make a change that ultimately benefits our own well-being and also subsequently our relationship with others. So upon reflection, I came up with a few reasons for, you know, why someone is more able or why someone is less able to cope with stress. So there are a few things, right? There are four things. And the first one is, you know, something that is less in our control. I wouldn't say it's totally out of our control, but, you know, it's biological factors, it's differences in physiology. So the point here is, you know, some people are naturally just more sensitive and more reactive in nature, right? And this can be due to their temperament, their personality. For instance, HSP is a personality trait that is possessed by at least 20% of the population, right? So some people may just be more sensitive to high sensory input, right? Or if you tend to be a shy person, you may feel more stressed out giving a presentation, right? So I think on this note, you know, everybody starts from a different baseline, okay? And some people do have the tendency to get more stressed out than the others. And although this is not really in our control, right? But knowing this can kind of help us to accept and acknowledge stress better, right? Because previously when I didn't know that I was a HSP, I tend to get stressed out and overwhelmed where there's high sensory input, right? But I tend to criticize myself a lot and I think there's something wrong with me, right? And that adds to the stress. But knowing that, you know, it's part of my personality and it's okay to feel this way and generating the awareness that me having this personality trait might be the reason for why I get stressed out, you know, makes me 
more assured, you know, it makes me feel better. And that itself can, you know, help to regulate stress in that way. So I would say that even though differences in biological factors is something that is not really in our control, right? But knowing this can in some ways still help us to deal with our stress. Or rather, the way we look at, you know, our stress response. And the second factor is the differences in the meaning we associate with experiences. So sometimes given the same stressful situation, right, it is about how we perceive the situation and the meaning we associate with the circumstances as well, right? So I think any situation is actually rather neutral until you interpret the event, right, which is where our thoughts and feelings come into our play. You know, our emotions, our thoughts, our behaviours are all linked, right? Our feelings about a situation is influenced by our past experience. Our thoughts about a situation is influenced by our past experience. We are all driven by, you know, a lot of unconscious things like our trauma, our struggles, our past, right? So how we feel and how we perceive a situation is largely influenced by all these things that, you know, are not so visible, like our pain our trauma, our past experiences. So for instance, if we have been attacked in a social situation before, then maybe we may start to perceive social situations as more stressful or more challenging than another person. Or sometimes it may be mental framing as well. So when we look at the same situation, you know, some people can see it as a challenge, some people can see it as a threat, right? So all these things, again, all these differences in mental framing may come from our past experiences, which explains the difference in the stress levels that we feel. And sometimes this has to do with, you know, having certain mental health disorders as well, because mental health disorders affect the way we think and the way we perceive the world. So for example, being a socially anxious person means that I may think that everyone thinks I'm awkward in a situation. Or I think that, you know, everybody is observing my actions, which is often far from the reality. And that may also induce stress. So sometimes our mental health conditions, our mental health disorders may affect the way we perceive certain situations as well, other than our past experiences. So knowing this, you know, kind of encourages us to learn how to generate different meanings when we are faced with a situation, right? I think this is so important and it's a very important part in dealing with stressful situations because I realized that, you know, you know, as compared to the past, I find myself being able to generate more um, possibilities, more explanations, you know, for someone's behavior, not only someone's behavior, but when I am faced with a situation, you know, I tend to come up with different possibilities other than the one that I think of in my head, you know, which is often very automatic and very autopilot. We all have a very habitual and autopilot way of thinking, but being able to, you know, notice that and come up with different possibilities, different explanations for a situation will help us when it comes to, especially when it comes to a stressful situation or a situation that may induce stress. All right, so that's point number two. And the third factor here is the differences in coping resources, which can be internal and external. So external resources can be, you know, how much social and emotional support we have from others, whether or not we have a person to talk to about our problems. And when we talk about internal resources, in a way, it's looking at the toolkits that we have 
you know, skill sets that we have within us to actually cope with the stress. So internal resources can be things like mindfulness, breathing methods, grounding techniques. So when we think of these coping resources, be it internal or external, you know, when the perceived demands of a situation outweighs our available resources, it will lead us to perceive a situation as more threatening, right? It triggers our body's response and experience of being stressed. And that's why the level of coping resources we possess, right, be internal or external, you know, make a very significant difference as to how we experience stress in a given situation. And this is the key, right? And, you know, just a quick note here, when we talk about stress, the term stress may be sometimes overly classified as bad or unpleasant, right? But stress itself, even though it's unpleasant to feel, can be really beneficial at times as well, right? If you think about certain situations, it can enhance our performance and makes us more alert, right? Think of a job interview or when you sit for an exam. I think having some form of stress is actually beneficial. It can be a very positive motivator in a short run. And there are many different types of stress as well, which you know, I'm not going to details here and I did not really address in this episode, but I just want us to not have the view that stress is bad for us and it's always this unpleasant thing that we have to deal with. Sometimes having it can even be a good motivator for us, right? It can only be harmful when it becomes too much, you know, or on a prolonged basis. So, so far I've mentioned three factors and probably some of you may already know of these factors. And I would say that is not really the main focus of this episode, right? But this factor that I'm going to be introducing is something that is very new to me and I hope that it can also give you some insights and, you know, some things to think about as well. So point number four here is there are differences in how our brain is wired. And this might be based on some of the things I've shared earlier on, you know, be it our biological makeup our past experiences, and, you know, our state of mental health, right? There are many reasons why our brain can be wired differently. How our brain is wired has a lot to do with how we deal with stress and how we experience stress. And, you know, I'm not a brain expert, and I'll try to make it the least technical I possibly can and do my best such that, you know, I'm clear um, in terms of relaying the concept. Okay, so first of all, to understand this point, I think we need to know about this thing called amygdala. Okay, so this amygdala is a part in our brain that is associated with our stress response. And it is activated whenever we perceive a situation as dangerous. So whenever we sense a threat or a stressor, this amygdala will be activated. It's like our survival mechanism, right? It triggers our fight or flight response. And I think we all are familiar with the fight or flight response, right? It is basically a response that, you know, triggers a release of stress hormones. And, you know, we experience physiological responses such as a faster heartbeat. We might realize that our body gets warmer, right? So all these are actually our survival mechanism. Because without this amygdala, we might be just feeling stressed like 24-7. This fight or flight response actually allows us to keep ourselves safe by either fleeing from the danger or by fighting the threat. So in the event of a very stressful situation, it can be a trauma, right? So when I talk about trauma, it doesn't have to be, you know, going through a personal assault or getting into a car accident or experiencing a natural disaster, right? It doesn't have to be like that. As long as it's a situation that really affects 
a person and alter the experience, I think it can be considered a trauma. So when we actually face, let's say, a trauma, which is a very super high stress event, right? It will change the way, you know, our amygdala is. And this has an impact on how we eventually react to subsequent stress and our future stress. It alters the way our stress response is. Yeah, so sometimes it may not be a one-time off event. It can also be a series of events, right? It could be a series of stressful events that keeps repeating and repeating. For instance, if abusive parents is, you know, constantly reacting to you in a very abusive way, then in that way, it can create what we call a complex trauma, where it's not a one-time stressful event, but a series of, you know, stressful and traumatic events that, you know, result in a complex trauma. So after saying so much, right, I think the point here is when our brain experiences trauma or undergoes chronic stress, you know, part of our amygdala actually gets bigger. And each time we are exposed to this stress, we are actually reactivating our amygdala. And when this amygdala is overly activated, it can disrupt our emotional regulation and subsequently how we process our emotions. So research have found that, you know, the larger the amygdala, the stronger its connection with the regions of the brain that is responsible for perception and the regulation of emotion, the greater amount of anxiety one will actually experience. And this amygdala is also found to be more active in people with PTSD, which is also known as post-traumatic stress disorders. So in the case of a trauma, you know, even hearing certain sounds, being at certain places, you know, meeting certain people who display certain traits that reminds you of the person involved in the trauma can cause a stress response. So in a way, this is like a chronic cycle and also toxic in a way, right? And that is also how mental illnesses are sometimes formed. Mental illnesses are not always genetic. It may have a genetic component to it, but other times it may also be about the stressful situations that we face which leads to this inability to regulate stress effectively because of how our brain is wired. And in fact, research has shown that prolonged stress and anxiety during childhood actually increases the risk of someone developing anxiety disorders and depression in the later part of their lives. So then, you know, naturally, the next question is how can we rewire this structure of the brain, right? In a sense, how can we change the relationship we have with the amygdala? Right. So the answer to this actually lies in mindfulness. To be very honest, when I first learned about mindfulness, right, I didn't know how exactly it would help us to reduce stress. You know, how it actually brings us closer to a state of peace that, you know, we all look forward to. But it's only through cultivating the practice in my daily life, I saw myself cultivating different skills where I can apply to real life scenarios, real life situations. So through practicing mindfulness, I've come to pick up a few skills and these skills are things like, you know, the ability to notice, right? Noticing of my body sensations, the ability to shift my attention, you know, flexibly from one situation to another. And perhaps also this expanded awareness that I've cultivated, which allows me to see beyond myself and the situation. And what all these skills does is they actually help me to reduce my reactivity when I'm confronted with a stressful situation. So for instance, you know, when I'm in a moment of stress and that could be maybe me in a social situation or me having a large amount of responsibilities that is given to me, in such moments, I would say that I'm able to notice my physical sensations more 
right, I was able to notice that I am going into a fight or flight mode. You know, I can notice my body sensations. You know, I can notice my body getting warmer and all of that. And that is because I've cultivated this skill of noticing, right? I'm able to also notice what is making me stress. You know, what is the stress trigger that, you know, is kind of triggering these physiological responses in my body. Then after that, I was able to shift my attention from the stressful stimuli to my breath, right? And kind of use my breath as an anchor to sustain my attention. And this helps a lot in terms of, you know, allowing more time to think of a response, allowing myself to buy myself more time to think how I want to react and how I want to respond in a situation. And at the same time, it also calms me down. Um, I feel that my thoughts are not racing as fast as I would, you know, before I actually practice mindfulness. So in a sense, this mindfulness practice allows me to firstly notice, notice what is the stress trigger, notice my body sensations, which is an indicator to tell me that I'm feeling stress, right? And then secondly, it equips me with the skill of shifting my attention because our attention is really very flexible. But of course, it takes practice to actually shift our attention very flexibly from the stressful stimuli to my breath. And it doesn't have to be your breath, but you know, the reason why I shifted to my breath is because my breath is something that's very neutral and it's always there, right? It's consistently there for me to focus my attention on. And so by shifting my attention to my breath, um, I'm using it as an anchor to sustain my attention away from the stressful stimuli. And this allows me more time to pause and to think of a response instead of reacting or, you know, responding in a very detrimental way. And in a way, my response will be a lot more helpful for myself and for others as well, instead of, you know, just reacting in a very autopilot manner. And, you know, that may sometimes result in very destructive behaviors. For instance, binge eating or isolating. And sometimes it is these not so healthy behaviors that actually causes us more stress. And we talk about how we might get stuck in that toxic cycle. You know, so in a way, mindfulness also helps to break ourselves out of that toxic and chronic cycle of stress, which I talked about earlier. And I think, you know, how mindfulness actually helps with stress reduction is it gives us the ability to create this space, right, between the stress trigger and our response, right? And it's this space that allows us to think of a more helpful outcome for ourselves and for others. You know, is this time where we are able to pause and think, which is sometimes very hard, right? Because of our autopilot behaviors, we tend to just react and react and react. And we are not noticing what all this reaction is actually doing to the amygdala of our brain. Okay, And there is growing body of research examining what happens in our brain during and after a mindfulness practice. So research have actually shown that regular mindfulness practice actually helps to, you know, transform our amygdala. It reduces the size of the amygdala and they have found that, you know, the amygdala is in fact smaller in people who practice mindfulness. And at the same time, the area of the brain that is associated with more thoughtful responses, which is called our prefrontal cortex, actually gets larger. And all these changes suggest that, you know, mindfulness lessens that reactivity, it lessens the fearful responses that actually enhances stress, right? 
in a way we are able to you know create a space which i talked about where we can have more time to pause and think of a more helpful response instead of you know going through that autopilot reactivity you know engaging in unhelpful behaviors and lead to our emotional regulation being more dysregulated and over time i find that as i practice mindfulness right I find myself having the ability to kind of shift into a more relaxed state in the midst of a stressful situation. And, you know, this is just the most, most wonderful thing that I wanted to share and bring across. And I think that is because, you know, of how mindfulness actually impacts the brain and rewires the brain. You know, having the science to back it up is actually a way for me to motivate myself and remind myself to yeah not give up on my practice and you know practice mindfulness regularly so to end off i am going to be sharing a really quick three minute breathing exercise so it's another toolkit that we can add to kind of change up our practices so that it doesn't get too autopilot as well so this practice is called the three minute breathing space so to start off adopt a wakeful standing or sitting posture close your eyes or you may also lower your gaze to the floor. So for the first minute, it is about becoming aware. Ask yourself, what is present here for you? What are the sounds here for you? What thoughts are here? What emotions are here? Notice all these without judgment. And that means without labeling it as good or bad. And it's really to just simply notice. And then the second minute is to focus your attention. And that means paying attention to your breath. Rest your attention on the sensations of the breath, either at your nose, your chest, or your belly. If your attention wanders away, simply just bring it back to the breath. And for the third minute, I want you to expand your attention. And that means expand your attention to the entire body. Notice any physical sensations that are present, the air around the body, your contact with the chair, the floor, the sensations of the temperature, pressure, and even your facial expression. And do this for an entire minute. And to end the practice, I would like you to take a deep breath in and exhale, and you may open or widen your eyes. And I hope that by engaging in this three-minute breathing practice, we can train up some of our mindfulness skills like noticing, shifting of attention, anchoring of our breath, which are really essential skills that we might find it useful when we are faced with a stressful situation or when we want to create that space for ourselves, which I talked about earlier in the episode. And I also do encourage us to maybe engage in this three-minute breathing space when we are not in a state of stress, right? Um, try to build it in as part of our routine when we are in a more neutral state. Because the thing is, if we only start to do this when we are feeling stressed or when we are in a stressful situation, it might not really serve its purpose. In a sense, it might even backfire because we are just not used to it, right? We might find ourselves getting more overwhelmed because we are just not used to it. All right. That's it for today's episode and even though this may be a very simple episode, I hope it allows us to understand the concept of stress better because it's so important, right? And because the more we understand stress, the better we are able to tackle it. Thanks for chilling in. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe. You can also connect with me on Instagram at chillbynet or my website chillbynet.com to join the conversation and access our show notes. Have a great day and we'll chill again very soon.